Hello everyone and welcome to our podcast, MS in Colour. Today we have the amazing Echo and Carly to kick us off with episode one. I can't wait for you to hear their stories. Let's go. Let's just start by getting you guys to introduce yourself. I'm Carly Houston. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm an actress yeah. and a model. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so my name is Echo Wati. And I'm an actor and a model and occasionally a spoken word artist. Oh, wow. That's great. Thank you guys so much. Um, Yeah, so we'll kind of just start like, um, first of all, I wanted to let the listeners know that the reason why I feel this is an amazing episode, just because um, who's going to reveal it? Carly or Echo? Who's going to reveal why I think this is such a special episode? Um, I suppose I will, because Carly's yeah. given me the nod. Is, is it because we've recently been engaged? I actually did not know that he had been recently engaged. I was actually going to say it's because both of you actually have MS, which I have never seen before. I'm not sure many of the listeners have seen that before. Usually it's like you have one partner who has MS and the other one doesn't. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that one was a special. Well, congratulations. I didn't know about the engagement. Oh, <laughs> Well, congratulations. That's actually fantastic news. So, yeah. So I think um, that is the part I feel like people be like, wow, okay, so how does that work? Because I have never, like, I've never, um, you know, seen or even heard of, you know, two couples together actually both have their miss. So right. I guess it must be, well, the fact that you can support each other. But I don't know, because you two probably at different stages um, of your MS journey. So, um, I would say, Carly, how is this for you? I mean, the, um, that both of you have MS. I mean, how do you navigate through life? Um, we just have a system, really, and we just make stuff work. Yeah, okay. That's good. What about you, Echo? Is it the same for you? Um, so, like, when we first got together, um, mm. my parents, her parents were like, how is this going to work? How are you going to... How's that? This doesn't even make sense because you you both have MS. You're both in yeah. How? Who's going to look after who sort of thing? Um, and I don't know. It just, it works because we are very, do you know what it is? We're very uh, go with the flow type of people. We're, we, we're very naturally adapt to survive sort of thing. So, um, for example, um, since last year, Carly can't use her hands to drive her chair. And we used to think when it was first happening, we were like, oh God, how are we going to figure this out? It's like, it, you know, like I drive her chair and I think to other people, it looks super complicated, but really mm. every chair and my chair follows. I have to do, you know, I have to be conscious of curves and stuff, but yeah. uh, it's, it, it works quite easy. And if I'm honest with you, um, where I think our parents thought it would cause some kind of stress on us, it, it if anything, alleviates the stress and the pressures of MS because... Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, I was fine a second ago, but now I can't even remember what life is. Or, you know, uh, and I don't be... There's certain things that I would just tell her and she would just understand or she would just already have that. And I'm not even saying this is the reason we... We didn't... We, we, we met randomly in Manchester. It's not like we met at an MS support group or, you know, something, yeah. anything... MS. It, we, we just happened to both have MS and I think I was just infatuated with her so deeply that uh, nothing else really mattered. I was just like, yeah, no, it's fine. We can figure it out. And then somehow we did. Sorry, but how'd that conversation even happen? <laughs> because I know that some people were saying that like even 
with that uh, when we're talking about relationships and stuff like that people always say it's very difficult like do you tell the person you know at the beginning or you know people always don't know how to navigate in terms of you know when it comes to dating and relationships so how did that conversation even come up that you both realized like oh my god I, you know you've got ms as well i think the I first day straight up the yeah. first day we met um so we didn't meet we, we met at an event called dank which is disabled actors networking community with um, um um organization and so, so you know, there was a bunch of actors with disabilities meeting meeting up. So that's how we met. Um, and if I'm honest with you, I I if I just tell you the story real quick. Yeah, so, no problem. Go ahead. Um, we I was in Manchester going to this event for the first time uh, because I was I was promoting a campaign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About how this was way before, so this was way before um, the Elizabeth line. So I was, I did a campaign about how terrible the access in London is. So I was, I went to to this event for disabled actors to promote it, sort of, you know, get Mm -hmm. get and whatnot. So um, I went there. I went out there with the photographer and um, Chris because she's the photographer was actually a tinge Christian. She's a She's an, uh, a director. Okay. Has, she's done lots of. We met because I I did a sh- I, I had a little stint in her Netflix film, <laughs> um, and then so we went up to Manchester. We're looking for this event. We're looking for the entrance, and I don't have a clue where I am. Uh, and I, as I'm looking around, I see this girl in a wheelchair driving towards me. Yeah. And I, 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 I the way I explain it now or describe it now is, I say that the ancestors spoke to me, but I had <laughs> this very clear voice in my head that said, "Oh, you see, if you were with her, you'd be crazy happy." Mm. And I was just like, "That's so lovely." Well, I thought I was losing my mind because she was a stranger. I haven't met her from Adpool. Why is my brain telling me I'd be happy with this absolute stranger? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> like, I, 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 you know, so so I, at first I thought I was just like, oh, okay, so you're just <laughs> randomly crushing on randomers that you've just seen. Yeah. You need to, you need to, off out, Echo. You need to, you know, collect yourself. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I say hi to her because I realize I'm staring and she drives past me. She, she smiles, but she doesn't say anything. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely losing my mind. Yeah. Uh, so as we're still looking for the entrance, I suddenly hear her her chair coming up behind me. I turn around. It's Carly, and she's just like, "Oh, um, are you lost?" And I was like, "Yes, I am." And she's like, "Oh, are you coming to Dank?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm coming to Dank." Blah blah. She she was like, "Oh yeah, I know where it is." So we went upstairs, <laughs> and um, we were supposed to be, you know, networking and getting to know people. Yeah. Especially at the beginning of the event, um, and she actually just kidnapped me. Into the corner of the room somewhere. <laughs> he literally kidnapped, and and we just sat there speaking for out for what what felt like hours in a good yeah. way. So this all happened in April, just okay. to give it. And I met him originally in January because hmm. Jen was doing this modeling thing. Okay, and he rode in on his chair, and I went to my agent. Who is he? <laughs> and she went. He is taken. Oh. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> and time in Manchester, I was going crazy when he said hey. Because oh. I was like, oh, what do I say back? I can't say hey. I've got to say more. <laughs> yeah. She came over a little plot. 
ask me if I'm lost. Uh, yeah, and yeah, so like she said, we, 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 I was in a relationship at the time. Um, um, she was a person without disabilities. She didn't have MS or anything like that. Um, and if I'm honest with you, this relationship is actually far less exhausting. Okay. And especially at this point now, especially after Cardi's relapse last year, um, wow. and even then, that's far less exhausting than my experience with pe- being in relationships with people who don't have MS. Mm. Um, it, it's often, I mean, maybe it's the type of people I was going for as well, um, <laughs> you know, but mm. um, Cardi's, I think in my whole dating history, Cardi is probably the most healthy, like the healthiest, most non-toxic relationship I've ever had in my life like I, like I wouldn't even say my exes were particularly bad or they were you know bad people it's just like you just said where I was dealing with MS already I didn't have time for whatever issues were going on that would the thing is really very relevant and really weren't that important so um and I, I think there's a I don't know aside from us both have I don't, I don't think any um MS has anything to do with why we get on so well though I think we we just were very very fortunate <laughs> sort of find each other because I'm our pers- personalities match so well and um yeah that's really good because I do hear from um other people in the community like when they're they're the ones that don't have MS you have to remember that it's hard for them as well because sometimes they um they were with someone when they weren't when they didn't have MS and then MS came along and it's <laughs> like now they're their carer and it's just like they don't know what to do to help. And sometimes, you know, maybe the person with MS has like, you know, mood swings or is uncomfortable and then they forget about them as well. It's it's kind of just like, you know, I understand that you're going through something. But remember me who I haven't got MS, but I care for you and I don't like seeing this way. So it's interesting that, you know, both of you you have MS and it's not the thing that, you know, like brought you together kind of thing. Like you said, it was just, you yeah, know. It was one of the many uh, similarities we had. <laughs> I think that's that's how we see it. It's not, it wasn't really, um, I mean, we, we compared notes on symptoms and stuff like you do with other MS warriors, but I, I think that's about as far as we spoke about it, really. Um, I wanted to ask you guys something first, because I want to ask all the guests this. Have you um, done any trials or MS like MS trials or MS research and if you have you know where have they been and if not why not so I haven't been to any MS trials I personally haven't done any MS trials or even been put up for any yeah no nor have I I genuinely didn't even know there were specific MS trials you know until I've met you um mm-hmm. I if I'm, there was a point in maybe 2017 that I was struggling for money, so I tried putting myself up for medical trials, you know, yeah. like the drugs in you and they give you a few thousand or whatever. I put myself up for that one time, but I didn't even know there was such a thing as MS trials. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, Some of these medical professionals are actually looking for, you know, African Caribbean people to be part of their trials, but I don't know where they're going um, because are you going into those areas? where you'll mainly see black people so mm. I don't even know whether they're just assuming that they will just turn up or the word will get around in social media or something like that but you know with black people you you have to be in our faces before we're not just gonna voluntarily just go and you know anything medical we're not just gonna volunteer and just go like that so you need to be in places 
where they are or, you know, go to grassroots groups where, you know, you mainly see the black community. But I don't think that they are they are in places like that. And I was actually speaking to a neurologist about it because it's just like where, you know, I don't even know where these trials are. And I, and I would have liked to participate. Like I said, the Adam study is one of them that I did, but that's only because I'm on the register, which is another question. Are you on the MS register? We are now. No one really explained to me what they, this, I, when I first was diagnosed, um, they said, they, they mentioned the MS register to me, but I, they, no one really explained it to me. Oh no, they didn't even mention it to me. I got it in a pamphlet, like, okay. and um I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I probably didn't read the pamphlet. Um, the MS made me dyspraxic, so learning, like remembering what I've read, it can get difficult, especially around devil's time. So I can imagine I just threw it somewhere. Yeah, um, that's the same because they just they gave you so many. When I was diagnosed, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even take it in because I was just like I think I blocked it all out because I had a M. I think she, yeah, she was a neurologist, but not MS neurologist. So she told me that my um, MRI scans um, show that it might be MS or it could be something else. But because I was pregnant with my second child at the time, I had to wait for him to be born for more tests to be done. So right. I put it in my head that, oh, maybe it's the other thing. It can't be MS. So through my whole pregnancy, I was thinking like, it's, it's, not, it's nothing. It's something that they can just sort out. So obviously I realized that something was really wrong when I went into the hospital for tests after my son was born. And now that neurologist is, is a, there's a different one. And there's another lady, which they called an MS specialist nurse. And I said, okay, this doesn't look good. So once they started, once they told me, it was just that awkward moment when they're just looking at me, I'm looking at them. And when they're talking, you know, like I never thought it was actually real when people say it, but you know, when you're at the bottom of the water, the swimming pool, and then people are talking yeah, and it's yeah. just like you can, that sound is a bit weird. People say that sometimes they can zone out and that's what it's like. And I just thought, but how do you know what that's really like? And literally it was like I was at the bottom of the water because everything they were saying after, yeah, we've seen the tests and unfortunately you do have MS. And everything else after that, I just was not hearing it. It was just, yeah. I can't believe you just told me this. I've just yeah. programmed my whole mind that I haven't had it. I haven't got it at all. And now you're telling me, I've got MS. So I still wasn't taking it in. I was like, okay, uh, give me what I need to get rid of it then. And they're just like, oh God, how do we explain it? Because they were just looking at each other like they felt really bad that, you know, they had to tell me again that they haven't got a cure for it. So that was like another blow. And But they were like, oh, but don't worry though. You know, um, the type of MS you have, it, it seems to, it, you want to be on this one. It's just like, I don't want it. <laughs> any one of them. It's not like I want to be on the you know, less riskier one, which they were saying was remitting, relapsing. But my one at the time is that mine was moving quite quickly. So yeah. I was thinking that, oh, maybe I can have like a tablet or something. But they're like, no, you're going to have to have one of the highly effective um, treatments. So this was, it was just a crazy roller coaster from there. So all those pamphlets and stuff like that, I, I don't think I saw them. I just saw a lot of white people on them. And yeah. I was thinking, what is this? you know what is this thing I've never heard of it before it just goes out of your head and to be honest with you it was only about a year ago that I got into the MS register but my th thing coming down to it is mainly family because that's the most important thing and I think like when we're doing our community events I say to people like come with your family if you can 
because I want everybody to know what we are going through. Family is the one that you rely on. They're part of your circle. And it's so heartbreaking that I've met some people in the community and they haven't even told their family members that they have MS because they don't know how their family going to react to it. So it's it's like when they find our group, because we're still quite new, we've just done a year now, um, the nerve of my MS. So we're still going around and not a lot of people know that we exist. So when they find us, like, oh, my God, where have you been? I was like, oh, we've only been in existence for about a year. But we're hoping to, you know, become much bigger, build this big community of Black AMSs so that, you know, we can all come together because there's a lot of people out there who feel really, really alone. So mm-hmm. I'm going to move on to the um, Uveco. Like, how did your family take it when you got your diagnosis? Or you can tell us about some maybe earlier symptoms that you've noticed like and you spoke to your family about oh mate this is this is a doozy though um so if i look back in time i think with a lot of us we will realize that there there were very early signs in your childhood that you that you could probably point to and be like yeah i think i've had ms from here yeah uh, so I've, I've got relapse remitting as well but it's just mine's aggressive form of relapse remitting so can stand but i can't walk i my legs but from my hips down and actually recently oh no so recently i've, I've become secondary progressive oh well did you get the diagnosis or yeah because oh. i haven't been of the medications for a while and i haven't had any relapse but there has okay. been in my both mobility and stuff mm. but I so at, at the beginning in when I was 14 woke up one morning I went to leave my bed and my legs wouldn't follow me like I couldn't feel I was like wait what but being a 14 year old I thought oh, okay I just slept weird somehow yeah. oh I'm just gonna go back to sleep so I went back to sleep woke up they were fine I was like yeah see Cool. Um, the Friday, that Friday, that Friday previously, I had been. I used to play a lot of basketball, and I had just learned how to alley oop dunk. Um, and I couldn't wait until Sunday to show my friends at youth club. Right, Saturday morning, I wake up, my legs won't move. I, I ignore it, go back to sleep, wake up, they come, they they're working again. I go downstairs and I tell my mum, "Oh, by the way, this happened." And my mum's very religious. She's a nurse. She was a nurse, but she's also and also. Because I said it quite flippantly, because I didn't take it quite seriously. Um, but I was just like, oh, by the way, I tried to leave my bed and my legs didn't work. So she, she, my mom looks at me and is like, oh, yeah, don't worry. Pray about it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll cool. Like, if, if you don't mind, and I, I, I personally didn't care. My legs are working now, right? So then mm. I, I go to youth club and I go to show my friends the alley dunk. And I go to run, but my knees buckle. Like... <laughs> they they so you know like when you take a step your your leg goes straight stops at a point next step um my knee my knee joint is hyper extendable so it ended up just pulling back on itself like Mm -hmm. it was going inwards so and that's what would happen when i tried to run i thought what and around that time because i was trying to learn how to dunk I was yeah. I was super obsessed about how you go from walking to running to jumping. Mm. I was watching the way people walk and I was thought about running and jumping so much that I had forgotten how to do it. You know, like I've broken my eventually in a few weeks, my my mom was like, okay, let's just go to the doctors, check you out. I told mm. my GP, they were like, meh. So I told them I've got weakness in my knees. Mm-hmm. My my knees. They wrote down, oh, pain in the knees. And then they said, oh, it's just growing pains. You grew too tall too quick. Your muscles oh have... Oh, my God. I'm sorry, to just, I'm sorry to interrupt because I actually spoke to somebody who said the same thing 
when he had these early signs as well. And he's a guy as well, and he's got MS, and he said that his doctor said it was growing pains. So that's yeah. really interesting. But and the worst thing is, I never had any pain. I never mm-hmm. ever had. Um, and then, but they, she kept writing down knee pain and knees, pain and knees. So so much so that even when I'll speak to my parents about it, they'll say, "Oh, do your knees still hurt?" And I'll say, no, my knees never hurt. My, my, my legs weak. But mm-hmm. African parents, Ghanaian parents, you know how they can be. Amongst the hecticness of their lives, yeah, I don't. I, I really don't blame them because there was a lot going on. Fast forward to university. So by the time by the time I'm in university now, I've gone from being able to go on long, long walks for four hours because I just my my friends were my friends and I were just like that, to suddenly struggling to walk for 20 minutes uh it was a it, i say suddenly but it was a slow decline over the from between 14 and 23 there was a there was a decline and every so often something will happen uh, or i'll go through this thing where my legs will be really really bad for a few days and i'll be super tired for a few days and all of the all of the rest of it and i never knew what it was um so i would ignore it for the few days and then i'll feel better so I, I, I self-medicate, right? Um, and when I was in uni, I would go through these, what I now know of relapses, and I would just yeah. smoke, smoke, smoke. Because in my, cause I had already done all my research at that point, and I didn't know I had MS, or I didn't know that MS, or that the weed was having anything to do with me feeling better. I just knew that if I smoked for two, three days consistently, I would feel better by the fourth day. And that's just yeah. what it um this is just my experience, by the way. Just uh, and um, so when um, by the time I was twenty, but by, by the time I was in uni, I would end up with forty percent or less. But when I would give a presentation, it would be a first. Right. Okay. So it wasn't because I didn't know what I was doing. It, it got to the point where one of my lecturers said to me, "Like, listen, you're either really, really lazy, or there's something wrong with your brain because it doesn't make sense that you can give a presentation like that. But then, when I ask you to write me an essay about it, you don't know what you're, you don't seem to know what you're talking about. Um, so I had a dyslexic assessment. My mom was telling me to get a dyslexic assessment for years, but I was just like, meh, I don't. Um, so I had this dyslexic dyslexic assessment, and turns out." I am dyspraxic. Uh, for people who don't know what that is, um, could you explain what that is? What's it called again? Stand. Yeah. Dyspraxia has to do with more number, number illiteracy and, well, not illiteracy, but like you have problems working with numbers and okay. also with balance. And, you know, because uh, so apparently way way back when they used to call people who had dyspraxia um the children who had dyspraxia they used to call it the clumsy clumsy baby syndrome mm. because it, it makes you it, it it makes you uncoordinated um makes you makes you it gives it, it i think it might even affect your walking gait as well uh, as lo- as well as the learning difficulties part of it so um we we i i got diagnosed with dyspraxia and then i went uh, my mom got me to see a neurologist or sort of escalated everything um because she was like well she's pretty sure my it's not just a coincidence that i've got uh learning difficulty suddenly because i didn't I, I wasn't always this way yeah. and um also that there's something wrong with my legs 
So, you know, that got escalated. Then it, then I saw a neurologist who told me I've got an, I've got an ataxic gait, a spastic ataxic gait, which just mm-hmm. at first was walking. Um, and even then, so the way I was diagnosed was crazy, right? Because at this point I had left uni. I didn't finish uni. I'd come back home and my, my, um, I was on JSA. So I was going to sign on mm-hmm. and, and, um, I remember walking into the JSA office, I had to walk upstairs. There was a lift, but if, so in my head, no one believed, no one believed me about my legs, right? Even my friends, we made a joke about it. Like I would stand and I would be swaying in a circle because I had no center of gravity. That's how bad my balance was, right? So we, we, we made so many jokes about it for so long that I just didn't think anyone noticed. Like, I, it, except for the swaying and stuff, no one really noticed how bad my legs were when I was walking and, Okay. At that point, I, I had to sit down after five minutes of walking. Um, mm. 2013. And then, so, um, I walk upstairs to the office, and as I'm approaching the desk, and I sit down, she says to me, um, so, uh, what job did you want? And I said, well, I don't know. I can't stand for long, so maybe something in Matalan or something. No, I said, I don't know, something in Matline or something, but just as long as I can sit down, right? Because at that point, I had given up all hope of doing anything with my life. No offense to anyone who works Matline, I'm not saying it, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of, because, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I was, my original plan was to be a lecturer. So that's where everyone thought I was going. Mm. Once I was diagnosed with dyspraxia and all my leg problems and all of this stuff, I just, I sort of gave up, I gave up for a lack of a better word. And um, so anyway, so I go upstairs to the to the JSA office and I'm like, yeah, just get me a job in Matland somewhere. Get me a desk or a, a chair and I'll be fine. And she was just like, well, yeah, that's my point. There is no way you're working anywhere with the way you're walking or the way, do you even know what's wrong? Like, what's wrong? What's your diagnosis? I, was like, I don't know. I haven't been diagnosed yet. Oh, this is how I got, I got, yeah, no. So I got the dyslexic assessment done, was diagnosed with dyslexia. And then this woman, she was just like, listen, your your walking is horrible. Like, it's terrible. Like, there has to be, how do you not know what's wrong with you? There has to be something wrong. It's very clear that there's something wrong with your legs. It's very clear that you can't. But in my, because I used to wear baggy jeans as well to try and hide how bad my legs looked when I walked. Okay. It, it it helped or even worked, but I think it just drew more attention to it, if anything, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when she said all these, but but this was the first time I'd had someone affirm to me that I see you and yeah. I see there's something wrong with you. You no longer have to act like it's normal. Because for years, I thought it was just normal. I thought, all right, cool. I've just forgotten how to walk. At some point, I'll remember again. That's what I told myself for years. Hmm. Um, so then she she got me to go to my GP and I'll tell you what my GP I said to her oh this is the reason why I'm here this is this is what's happening and so let me just and 
she she literally said to me, "Oh, because my my uh, the JSA woman said that you know you can't you can't work like this. You you know you you, should, you might as well you're going to have to go into benefits or whatever." So um, and she sent me she sent me with a note. So when when we have when I've spoken to her and I've shown her this note, she said to me, "Oh, so you're just trying to get benefits then, are you?" What? <laughs> and and even even when I when even when I first walked into the GP, I was stumbling, obviously, and mm. the, the the receptionist behind the desks were like, "Oh, it's a bit early to be drinking, isn't it?" And start laughing and making jokes. No, oh, no. And I was just like, "Ugh." So then, and my auntie used to work there, so she was at the back, and she heard and threw a crazy storm. Yeah. So mm. they, they come to them. <laughs> she's, she's 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 got small man syndrome a little bit. She's she's very <laughs> cool, very big mouth, like yeah. Uh, so um yeah, so she was just like, oh yeah, you're trying to get benefits, blah blah. blah. Um. Fine then, I suppose I'll sit. So she sends she sends me off to a neurologist. I get a um, lumbar puncture, which I now know gives me relapses. Um, so I have the lumbar puncture, I have a relapse, but we don't know what's happening. Still, I'm just all I know is I'm I can't move from my mom's sofa, and. Um, but I get over that, actually, because then I go back to where my uni was and I go to work there for the for the Christmas. But um, around January time, I get a letter. No, at end of January, I get a letter saying that after all these tests we've done, it looks like you may have multiple sclerosis or some other stuff. Um, but at the moment, we think it's multiple sclerosis. Uh, my mum... As a, you know, she's a nurse, so she knows exactly what it meant. She broke down straight away. She was like, "No," da, da, da. she was like, "It was, it was what she feared." Yeah, that stuff. And then, um, you know, I personally was very happy to get a diagnosis, yeah. or even uh, because, like, you know, exact now you know. Okay, now so, I know. Now yeah. I've got to tell people when they say what's wrong with your leg or why do you do this or why do you do that how, how have i just told you this thing and you've forgotten already this is the reason why um yeah. um but for my parents it was very hard for them it was very hard for them because i think they started seeing all the signs that they had missed in the past so it well and just as in our culture having your child become sick with anything is like the worst thing ever because um, yeah, with um my my mom is a nurse as well actually oh. <laughs> that's interesting so my yeah. mom she's a mental health nurse so okay. um my sister actually um was diagnosed with lupus a year before i was diagnosed with ms so okay. when my mom found out I got MS, so she was just like, oh, my God. You know, like, she just thought, like, 
you know, who have I offended that both of my children have also? It it's always has to be it a spiritual thing and evil thing. Like maybe it was one of her enemies. I, was like, I said to her, like, but mom, what kind of enemies do you have? Because <laughs> two of your daughters have autoimmune disease. You better go and make your peace because that's a serious enemy if that's the case. Mm -hmm. But my thing is, it's just like, it's so interesting because I feel like if you don't have the common signs or those early symptoms of MS, yeah. they won't know what it is. And they've, they've kind of said that's the reason why sometimes it's late for Black people to actually get a diagnosis, because some of the doctors um, don't even recognise the early of the, the symptoms. Some people, like, well, when I hear it, some people say, oh, it started off with leg weakness or something like that. They just, their doctors don't know what it is. Even me, my one was that just my arm went numb. And then when I got letters back from the hospital, I could, you know, because when they kind of um, copy different departments, you can mm -hmm. kind of have an idea what they think it is. I just saw like epilepsy departments. So I think they thought I had epilepsy, but my right. GP at the time, she lost contact with the neurologist that I had at the time. So I just thought mm -hmm. if they don't think it's serious and I don't think it's serious, but sometimes it's just like I woke up in the morning and both like my uh, three fingers on my right side was mm -hmm. always down, like really down. I couldn't lift them up. So I right. always had to use my other hand to slowly lift it back. And I was just like, that was not normal, but I was right. doing it every day. And I don't know why I thought, oh, okay. You know, I, I'm not meant to be doing that. It's not a normal thing to no. do. I shouldn't be doing that, but it didn't click that something was wrong. My arm went numb. I was learning my driving at the time and that's when it happened so my driving instructor told me you have to get that better before you start driving again so that's what made me really go so when they told me oh we're gonna send you to neurology I just thought oh, that's a joke I mean why it's only a numb arm I thought it was like maybe I like you were saying I maybe I slept on it wrong mm -hmm. because they always seem to find excuses for what it might be we find excuses like oh the doctor don't think it's you know serious then why should I and yeah. you can see like even through your journey how long it even took to even get there. I mean, so much could have been done. And when I I, I was interviewing um, a neurologist for this um, health program called Lived Health, mm -hmm. he was talking about something called, uh, I think it's smoldering MS. They, they want to speak about that more. So they want to know those early signs that if they can find those early signs and then treat somebody, the progression mm -hmm. of MS. But if you can't even recognize the no. early signs in, you know, and I'm noticing a lot of black people saying the same thing. You can't recognize the early signs in black people. How is this smoldering? That means it doesn't work for us then. Because it's very, it's very interesting because your story is so familiar when I talk to people in our community. Very much. However, I've heard the same story told by white people. And they, except their story was, oh, I, I had numbness in my legs, so I went to the GP and they said it was MS. Wow. Yeah. That seems to be a lot of people, a lot of people I speak to who mm -hmm. aren't, don't seem to have the same story as me. They, they all seem to say, oh, yeah, within the first year or within the first couple of years or within, you know, within the first couple of months, I, I was that. Yes, that's actually because you know what when my my first symptom was when I um couldn't see my right eye mm -hmm. so my GP actually sent me to uh St George's Hospital because they've got an eye clinic called Moorfields yeah, and yeah. when I went there they were 
doing some tests and this and the doctor there said that oh I can see that you know your optic nerve has swollen it's inflamed mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um there's inflammation there that's what's blocking the light but you're going um I'll make, so he just kept giving me appointments and you know what I kept going there every single week until my eyesight came back and then uh, it was just so I had this blindness in one eye for you know, uh, three months. When I mm. talk to people, like, especially like you were saying, white people, um, even a friend that I met when I was going into hospital for the stem cell transplant, when I went in, he um, was actually featured on, uh, I think, 24 hours in A&E. Okay. And it's just like, when I speak to, when they tell this, like, because um, the, the white people I've spoken to, they, they have the eye thing as well. They were mm. sent straight to a neurologist. Now, this doctor in uh, St. George's only told me to go to a neurologist once I got my eyesight back because he was like, yeah, I wasn't happy with that. I'm going to let you see a neurologist. So I just thought, well, the eyesight is bad. So what's the point? So it's just like, no, 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 just, just to make sure because that came, I mean, the inflammation, I mean, everything points to the brain. So mm-hmm. I'm going to send you there. But so many people, and even recently, the MS uh, Trust had a neurologist on there. And he said that anybody who has that um, that symptom of when they go blind in whatever eye, yeah. they should yeah. see a neurologist straight away. It should have been done. So the doctor there knew that it was a neurological thing, but he just wanted to keep watching it until my eyesight came back. Then he sent me. So when I hear people say, oh, yeah, as soon as they saw that symptom, whether it's black person or white person, they, you know, I, they do say that they were sent straight to a neurology because that was one of the most common signs. So I don't know what happened there, but sometimes it makes you wonder, like, but how come they get seen? And then you wonder like they say, oh, black people, um, they give us a diagnosis quickly, but that's when we're at our worst point in it. Yeah. That's when we're there. That's the worst point in it. So it's just like, that can't be okay. Something needs to change. I, it because like you said, if a white person is is showing those signs, like we are, and we're just like, oh, it's growing pains. Oh, you know, probably nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. then, I mean, what's I, going on? I don't understand it. Um, I, I, even to the point where I was misdiagnosed for years because people were, as in people were saying, oh yeah, or my symptoms were miswritten because they kept writing down. Even though I'm verbally telling them, I have no pain in my knees. I just, it's just when my knee, except for when my knees buckle because of the weakness, yeah. then that, that part hurts, but there is no general pain in my knees. Um, and I was explaining the weakness, explained it, explained it. All they ever kept writing in my notes was pain and knees, pain and knees, pain and knees. And I almost feel like that was a, a big most because now I might be below my hip, below my waist down. I'm in 24-7 pain. Mm. 14, since I had the relapse I had in 2014. So it's kind of like if you had done your job, if you had yeah. listened to what I was saying, I wouldn't, I might not even be as far as being in pain 24-7 every yeah, single day, you true. know? Um, I don't know, but Carly, how is, how is it like for you? Well, for me, it wasn't so bad, to be fair. I mean, when I was, I went on holiday with my parents when I was eight, Yeah, I think Italy, and we went to Rome. And we were going around the Coliseum and my legs just went really funny. Mm. I could see it was really scary. And I told my dad and he just went, oh, you want to be by the pool? 
And I was mm-hmm. like, actually, don't feel right. Something's not right. Yeah. And then when we got back to the hotel, the aircon hit me. I mm. was fine. And so my parents just put it down to I wanted to be by the pool. But then as I got older, my brother got diagnosed with MS. Oh. So I looked at the symptoms and I was like, this is what's wrong with me. I've got this. Mm. And I said I had it, and my parents called me crazy and insane. I shouldn't say stuff like that. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, no, but I do, I do. And they didn't want to hear it. And then to a neurologist, and I had an MRI and then the lumbar puncture. My MRI came back positive for MS, yeah. but it came back negative for MS. What, the lumbar puncture? Yeah, at wow. first. And he said to me, the doctor on my 21st birthday said, I've got your results. I was like, oh, you can tell me what's wrong. He went, I went, it's my birthday today. He was like, you've got MS. Deal wow. with it. Oh, my God. I Is was it like, like that? No bedside manner at all. Oh, my God. I was like, I want another doctor. I don't believe him. I want a second yeah. Even though I've been screaming to my parents that mm. I had death, I didn't want him to be my doctor anymore. Mm. Oh. But, what that, did your bro- but what did your brother say about it when you said that you think you've got the same thing as him? He said to me, look into it. Mm. He was quite supportive. Okay. I, I, sorry, I, I should add that my sister was the only other person who actually believed in my, in my legs as well. Really? Yeah. Oh. Mm. It's good. When you've got support there, it's really good. And to be honest, I kind of felt bad because I know my sister will kill me for saying this, but she was usually like a hypochondriac. She would always go for like the worst case scenario that could ever happen in any situation. So when her symptoms were happening, she kept falling over and things like that. And she would say things that, you know, were happening to her. And I felt bad at the time because I didn't believe her because it was always it's like when it was kind of like a character to be like that. And then the illness came and then, you know, it was just like, but is it really happening? I don't feel like I, I could have been more supportive. So I felt always feel like when people don't understand what's going on with me I always remember what I was like before my sister you know when my sister um before she got her diagnosis so I always kind of give people benefit of the doubt like they're trying to learn they don't get it so a bit more patient but when it was me because she she also has the autoimmune disease she knows what that felt like so she Mm -hmm. was also there as a support so it's always nice at least you know for everything that you're going through at least you have somebody who is supportive and that means a lot. That's why I always say it's very important that when we do our events, it's all about family because they're yeah. just like our circle. But yeah, my goodness, I'm I'm glad that you said you're going to change. You know, some people don't know they can change their doctors. So it's good that you went ahead and you know, I'm not yeah. having a person anymore. No, I just went crazy because I was so infuriated that he told me on my birthday and just deal with it. Yeah. I was what? So um, I just got a quick question for you. Um, you know, 
you, you, you said your sister has. Does your mom have any autoimmune issues? That's the thing. You know, with like, <laughs> I always say about black people, we really need to talk about illnesses because nobody likes to talk about it. And it's very important. Now, my yeah. mom, she's got type 2 diabetes. And just last year, my dad was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. My dad right. has an older sister, my auntie, and she thought she's she got some pain in her legs to the point that she can't even walk. And I, I was actually looking at her and I was wondering, because I haven't seen her for years. And when I went to visit family in um, Ghana, I think two years ago, I noticed, I know that she's an, she's old. My dad has got like, I think, 12 siblings. And she's the oldest out of all of them. But it was just the way she couldn't walk on her feet. Mm. And she did feel a lot of pain. But then it was just, it just made me think, is there something there? Because we wouldn't know. Because in Ghana, the way they diagnose things, you know, they don't even, um, they don't, it's all about money. If you don't have the money, you're not getting your results. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't even know with my family history. Because they said that um, with MS, it's not a genetic thing, but you you know your the chances of someone else having it you know it's a larger percent but we don't even know even my mom's side of the family because um they they're they've both my mom and my dad both migrated from Ghana mm-hmm. we don't know what's going on in our someone could have it and just be yeah. living with you know these effects and we just don't know so no I don't I don't know and I always we always thought the whole vitamin D thing but my sister was visiting Ghana more than I was so I thought she was more exposed to the sun so we don't understand what that one's all about so we were trying to figure it out ourselves I'm like we we don't know because even if someone in our family had it we wouldn't even know they wouldn't they wouldn't have got a diagnosis or anything like that they're even just saying oh it's probably sciatica it's probably the pain that's why she's talking about that but no one's diagnosed it everyone just assumes that's what it is so I don't know. I don't know uh, how it's become. So I think maybe because we they don't know, but they like to put a lot of supernatural, you know, things towards it. Of course, um, it's it's quite typical in Ghana. Yeah. Um. So Carly's Carly has an auntie and uncle that both have MS. Oh, okay. And I don't have anyone else. I don't know anyone else in my family that has MS, but my sister a couple of years ago was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Oh. And for quite a for mo- a lot of my uh, teenage, young teenage to adult life, my mom's been very unwell with all sorts of things. And yeah. um, she's had all kinds of that uh, diagnosis. Um, one of them being MS. So when I was actually in hospital and they were giving me my diagnosis, they said, oh, um, we we are pretty sure it's MS, but it might be this other thing. So I asked him, what should I hope for? And he said, you should definitely hope for MS. What, uh, <laughs> what is this other thing? Hmm. This other thing turns out is sarcoidosis. And turns out that's what my mum has. What's it called? Sarcoidosis. Oh. So, so it's it, it's basically like MS, except it attacks your organs. Your immune system attacks your organs. No, but that's like lupus as well, though. And lupus does the same thing. It attacks the organs. If you have it really aggressively, like, luckily my sister's one is not so aggressive. She's got mm-hmm. like a mild case. It's only like maybe if she's really, really stressed, then, you know, her feet swell up or her legs and stuff. Um, but it's not, hers is quite mild. 
I've never heard of that, you know. I haven't heard of it before. But oh, you said it's I, I, like MS. Yeah, it's like it's it, it's like MS. It's an autoimmune disease as well. Yeah. And and I think from what I remember, my mom even said that it usually attacks your heart or your lungs first. Mm. Lungs. Um it, it's it's quite so so in order to manage it, has so she ends up with a lot of lumps on her legs and a lot of swelling and uh so she's she's been taken she's um been taking uh these chemo pills um it's like a lower form of chemo yeah manage to help manage her symptoms um wow. just recently in last year or the year before two years ago yeah um, and she and that was that was one that came out of the blue because she was always the most healthiest one. Uh, her and my dad, so it was my mom and myself that were always the problem ones because you know I was also I was always accident prone when I was a kid, so I've been in hospital a lot of times, <laughs> broken. And then um, and then when I was diagnosed, my dad was like, "Oh God, you and your mom, right?" <laughs> yeah. uh, it was like at least he had comfort to be able to speak to my sister like oh this is all crazy because he my dad really struggles with it he struggles with it more than anyone more than it or any of us uh carly said what your dad as well yeah my dad struggles to cope with what's going on i think i think it's just it's something to do with the managed pride seeing their family be affected yeah of course my dad was a i mean the relationship with my dad is a strange one because uh my dad left the UK when I was only one years old. My sister's three years older than me. My dad, he's not the one to talk on the phone. He doesn't like doing it. So we went, we can just go through years or decades without speaking to my dad. But then right. when you're there in Ghana with him, it's like you've been with him your whole life. He'll just, yeah. you know, he'll be there talking with you like he's you've been around him all this time. So mm-hmm. I always feel like that relationship is a bit of a strange one because I won't hear from him. So my mum uh, told my dad that I had multiple sclerosis and he didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do about that. He didn't know what it was. So my sister was explaining to him. So when I went to Ghana, um, I think last, just this summer gone, he wanted to, you know, suddenly speak about it. And he was like, oh, so multiple sclerosis, right? I go, yeah. Oh, okay. But you're you're doing fine though, aren't you? I mean, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, it was just like, it's something that he just wants to do, but, you know, he's struggling. It's like right. something within himself that he wants to hug you, but he doesn't know how. So I right. do feel sorry for him, but I know that he wanted to ask me more about if I was okay and he was sad that I, you know, had MS. And I could see that already when I'm around him. So it, I don't know. It, I feel like maybe they just have that role of, you know, protector and maybe they feel yeah. like if they can't do it, you know, it makes them feel maybe upset. And I think yeah. my dad being like that didn't make me more upset than my mom because my mom was the one who raised me because she was always the one who defended me. I was always playful, always mm-hmm. getting told off. No one thought I would ever go to uni, you know. So my mom always had that faith in me. And every time there was an issue, mom would always fix it. Like if something was broken in the house, my mom was the handyman. She could fix anything. But right. it was just like when she couldn't fix this, I think that's what made me upset. This right. one thing she can't fix. And right. it's daughters now have these autoimmune disease and she doesn't know, you know, how to, you know, how she can help. 
So, like, my dad, for example, has never, ever in his life, I don't think I've ever seen him take a day off work, ever. And he's had a, he's, don't quote me on this, but I think he has gone to work after getting his tooth pulled out. Like, he's got that proper African man. Yeah. Work, work until you're, I mean, they, my parents sent me to school with a broken arm before. They sent me to school with, as in, I hadn't been to the doctors yet. They just didn't believe that my, my wrist was broken. They, oh uh, they sent me with a stomach ulcer before, you know. So, and, and, and I'll tell you what, them not understanding the way MS was affecting me, or the, the, them not understanding what was happening to me, made me very self-reliant and self-resilient. Yeah. So I came up with little, little things like, I'll put my hands in my pocket when I'm walking, so if my leg refuses to move, I can physically drag it with my arm, right? If I needed to turn a corner, there was a point... I mean, for a while, I couldn't turn a corner without stopping, coming to a full stop. People would just always be like, oh, why are you always touching things? And why are you always, you know? And I was just like, I don't know. Um, and yeah, it just it just made me build fixes, very short-term fixes, of course, but fixes. So now when things happen to me, or when just any situation happens, I kind of, I'm quite quick to adapt. So, so like even originally when I first had my diagnosis and my because I had a relapse in 2014 a week after being told that oh it might be MS um, mm. and I'll like three months so since then I've had this burning aching I don't know sometimes it feels like I've been smashing the knee with a hammer or something down my legs right um, my hips started getting involved and I've got a lot of stiffness in the hips and mm. um, and I, I got really upset I thought uh, what is this now? Like, what is is there another thing that's wrong with me now? But then my neurologist was like, "Oh no, it's just MS. You know, sending signals to your brain and X Y Z X Y Z." But as soon as she said that, I thought, oh, "Okay, I don't, so it's not that I've got them. It's not like I'm damaged my hip and now I'm not. I'm going to have to deal with that. It's yeah. just MS being MS. I've been dealing with being MS for ages. So they, so I just get on with it. I'm yeah. still. It's almost like the pain doesn't matter anymore because it's not because my hips are breaking in half or something crazy like that, you know? When I was actually speaking to a neurologist and he said, we don't know for sure if, you know, MS is, you know, more in black people than in white people, even though some, you know, research, research shows that it could be the case. They just not, they just need more proof of that. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm hoping that not just the fact that, you know, if they do um, research on black people, that we can now find tailored medication for us that works for us, but more like it can actually help everybody else. Because yeah. I feel like that would be the motivation for some of these doctors to want to have research on black people because they knew that it can help, you know, their own community. And I'm sorry to say, but that's how they see it. Because no. I know that when we are getting treated, there's no time to think, oh, we've never seen this before. They're doctors. They have to be quick to fix mm. the problem. So I mm. understand that they have to do that. But while they're doing those things in the background, somebody should be working on black health. These things are it, it's hurtful because some of us, you know, we've lived in this country all our life. We were born here. So we feel this is home. But there's just so many things in the healthcare system that stops black people from coming to get help. And I feel that's a major part in why black people are not part of MS research. It's a very, very low enrollment. So it's interesting. There's a lot of stuff that affects us that they don't know about. So mm -hmm. it's just like when they come out with all this groundbreaking new research, I can't help but think, well, it's groundbreaking for you 
for more white people, but it's not groundbreaking for us because you don't know how it affects us. So that's my only thing with it, really. I slightly feel like because as black people, we've had to grow a sort of resilience against most things. Yeah. As in, even when I was, I remember being a kid and, you know, like the little kids, like everyone else will hurt themselves um, playing playing in the playground or doing whatever it is they're doing. And they would go to the nurses and they would get basically a, a hug and a kiss and a lollipop and all of that stuff, right? I remember getting a concussion. I remember I had a concussion because I clashed heads with, with a kid just yeah. running the ground. And I was thrown up. The, the nurse gave me a bucket in the hallway of like in a random hallway of the school. Not even in the nurse's, I had to sit outside the nurse's office in the hallway with this bucket until I felt better. And then they put me in a room, in a dark room until it was home time. Wow. People will cry because they got a paper cut and suddenly yeah. there's a swarm of affection towards them. I was just kind of like, hmm, it's the same. Where's my lollipop? Yeah. <laughs> Where's my sticker? <laughs> Where's my hug? You yeah, know, that must have been horrible. And I think, you know, just from, just from early, I think it might, no one really, like, when I say no one, I mean, the professionals and stuff, they don't really care. The thing that um, pains me about this whole thing, I need to know, like, why is it that it's like that? Is it because of the discrimination uh, or is it other things as well that, like, because like you were saying, you just didn't think it was anything. No one's taking it seriously. I wasn't taking mine seriously. I was thinking it was normal because, okay, the doctors are not worried. Why should I be worried? I don't even know what this MS thing is. And no one even said MS at the early stages, so I didn't even know. It's, it's negative because we should have had way more support. We should have had way more. We should have had the same stories as those those white people who. Yeah, would... it's true. Like I even said that um, <laughs> that when I I was having some breathing problems, I think just coming out of lockdown, mm-hmm. um, I was I was um, taken to A and E, and a doctor, a white doctor, with them. I mentioned this all the time that when he looked through my notes, it was like, oh my goodness, you know, it, it's. It's very it's very unfortunate for you that you've got MS because white people are the ones who have MS, not black people. You're supposed to have sickle cell. And he was like an older white man. And it was just like I got I have time now to take it all in because at the time I wasn't breathing properly. I just wanted, you know, them to hurry up and, you know, sort my breathing out. But mm-hmm. um yeah, it was just like, but that was just the mentality of it all. They still, I mean, they still think like that today. And when it comes to the media, I feel like you wouldn't see them, unless the person is a celebrity, you wouldn't see them talking to a black person on a sofa about it because there's not enough research. And that's what the media go with. And if you can see every single interview, especially wait wait till it comes to those awareness days and awareness months, you will see that it's mainly, you know, white people sitting on those sofas, white people that are on the magazines and the newspapers and stuff like that. It's because they've got so much information on that. And it's just like for us, it's just like they're still wondering if we even have more, even though research has shown that, we, you know, we are getting it more and we're more likely to. Throughout my whole um, experience with MS, I've always been under the assumption that it affects black people more. And one of the first reasons I was given was that, um, what do you call it? It, it, it? You are more likely to have MS or develop MS if you come from a hot country and you're, um, you've moved before the age of 14, I think it was. 
Um, or until I, I spent my seventh birthday here. Okay. So they're saying it might be because of that, or it might be because of the change in diet. Things, because that's the that's the thing. That's why we need more research. If you really want to have a cure, you have to understand how the disease works in everyone, and you don't even know half of the story. And even that Epstein Barr virus, I think is have you heard of it? The interesting thing is, is that there's research to show that black people are more susceptible to even get that virus, or more likely to have. I know I had that virus. I remember a year later, I'm diagnosed with MS. I remember having that. Um, really? Yeah, I remember I had the shingles. And that's another thing. Like, um, I have some white friends in high school who had the shingles. And it was not as... Shingles for them seemed like, okay. They just said, oh, it was just itchy. Mine was like someone poured acid on my skin. I could not sleep for days. Oh. And there's another lady who had shingles not too long after her stem cell transplant. And she said it was agony. But I shingles was a nightmare. Nothing would cool it down. No, no painkiller, nothing. Mum put a cold flannel on it. I had to just wait for this thing to go. And it's also associated with, like, the, you know, chicken pox as well. And it's like a nerve type thing. So I just thought though that on top, like, chicken pox, then shingles, then the Epstein bar. It's like my body was just, like, ready for, clearly it was ready for MS to come along with the next one because there's so many different signs. And I want to know why. People, we absorb salt different. We absorb sugar different. We're more likely to get diabetes because of that. I mean, how yeah. long are we going to keep, you know, talking about it? So I think it's something that we need to look into further and try to get a lot of us into research and, you know, trying to figure out where to go, which clinics to go. Some of us, not just MS, we have other things on top of MS. So sometimes maybe someone has higher blood pressure. They can't yeah, do the yeah. trial. So they get missed out. What are those, you know, things? We need to be looking at all these things, I think. So I think it will make us feel a little bit better that we know that they're working on it. But I can't see anything at the moment, to be honest. I don't know if you've seen anything. I haven't seen anything I'm... they're working on, you know, figuring this out. The doctor I was talking to in America, the neurologist who did that study, but those are the doctors we need to hold on to and try to help us get these things going because no one is doing it. But thank you so much for um, doing this. And yeah, I'll leave it like that. So um, that's the end of you actually the first episode. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Like, this was a great conversation. Well, that's it, guys. Remember, keep supporting Keep representing and keep advocating. Let's make normalising, talking about illnesses a thing and supporting one another so everybody can feel comfortable within the Black community to talk about illnesses. Bye for now.